Hello. So, next week, uh, I'm not going to be here, and many of us are not going to be here, because we're going to be at RAW, the rally of a region out at Bathurst, and uh, we're gathering all of the local churches out there and encouraging, especially the young people, but the whole church, uh, that God is going to do something significant with them as well. And so we're taking about 50, in fact, I think there's more than that, but there's at least 50 of us are going to go out there, stay a few nights, and we're going to have a lot of fun in the freezing cold, and uh, get to know some of the churches out there. And then uh, on the 17th of July, Penrith Church is back in the building over in, uh, on Coombs Drive. And uh, we've been trying something new out there. We've, uh, we've had a rethink of what does family church look like? And it's a lot of fun. And our kids are loving it. Penrith Church is, is cool because we're all, almost 50% kids under 10. So we've got this dynamic going for us already. Uh, but my kids always say, Dad, are we going to trampoline church today? Because there's a trampoline in, in the dance school there. And I'm like, no, we're going to Hawkesbury. Oh, <laughs> so they really love it. And they keep asking me for the code to the vault and I will not tell them. But they spent a long time trying to crack it. If you don't know what that's about, ask someone from Penrith Church. They'll tell you. Awesome. Well, let me just acknowledge the green bucket in the room. Um, yes, the, the roof is dripping. So let's just, here you go, have your attention. There it is. Now we can leave it alone unless you're OCD and you're going to count the drips for the next half an hour. Um, power to you if you want to do that, but I'm going to leave it alone. Uh, Brody dared me to use it as a spontaneous sermon prop. So we're going to speak on Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. No. <laughs> Volunteer? No, no, I'm not going to speak about that this morning. Awesome. The last thing I'm going to say before I get into it is uh, I loved praise and worship this morning. I, the, the older I get, the more I realize that praise and worship is not a spectator sport. You can't, if you watch someone praise and worship, it doesn't make any sense. Like what, what is that? Like, it's weird. It's awkward. But when you get in it, and you're, you do the actions and you jump and you sing and you shout and you do the la-la-las and you go in a circle. It's fun. And it's so, it's like you, you sacrifice a bit of yourself to go into the, the recipe of this sweet-smelling sacrifice for the Lord. And He loves it. And what's crazy is you benefit from it as well. It's, it's amazing. It's this two-way thing. But uh, we've been doing a lot on Friday nights with our crazy doof-doof music uh, and... My kids love it. I love it. Everyone loves it. It's really good. Well, I wanted to start this morning by reading you a poem. Uh, I think I may have shared this a few years ago, but it's been a long time, so you probably forgot if I did. And if I didn't, then here you go. <clears throat> it's called The Church is Not a Time and a Place. The church is not a time and a place, not a club to join or attendance-based it's more than a bunch of traditions of faith, though is known to partake in dinnertime grace. The church is not a service or two with band and lights and production crew. The church is not a what, but a who. And a service is something they happily do. The church is a family who do life together through good times and bad times, no matter the weather. I didn't know the irony of that till today. Saved from destruction forever and ever, a kingdom united under God's umbrella. The church has the answer. It carries the truth that God loves the world and makes everything new. 
The church is the vessel God's chosen to use. The church is me. The church is you. Pretty cool. This morning, I'm considering this a bit of a halftime break for 2022, okay? Just, it's one all, blues, maroons. Let's gather in and let's just have a think. Where are we at? What's going on? What are we as a church trying to do? Where is our world at? It's pretty crazy. There's some crazy things going on and they don't stop coming. What does the world need from us as a church? What is the Lord asking Strong Nation to do? We've been on this journey as long as I can remember. What, 14, 15 years? The Burrells have been in this church. Even before that, probably, we've been on this journey of rethinking what is, what is the church supposed to look like in the 21st century? What is, what is the best model of how we do and be church that best reflects God's intentions for his church. Maybe some things we've had to throw out. Maybe there's some things we've had to bring in that are new. We've been rethinking it and and trying to figure it out because we don't want to just do what's been done without knowing why we're doing it. And one of the absolutely fundamental elements of that is a thing that we call oikos or family, spiritual family on a mission. The household, oikos, this, this family church. Not a church that's a club, not a church that you go to on the weekend, but a church that is your family. We've been thinking and talking about this a lot. And at least maybe, what, 10 years ago we, we brought this in? Maybe 8, 9, 10, something like that. I know I've been married for 7 years this year, so it's at least that long. And uh, can I be honest with you? I've seen... Lots of attempts. In fact, I've even been involved in several attempts of this oikos idea. And some of them have thrived and others have just straight up died. (laughs) I'm being honest. In theory, this oikos idea is fantastic, but it hasn't always worked. We've had many iterations and I would actually say that more oikos Oikoses, oikoi, I don't know. More of them have actually depleted and fizzled out and disappeared and dispersed than the ones that have actually thrived and grown and multiplied. And I've been thinking, what's the difference? What is the difference between this family on mission church that works and the family on mission church that doesn't? And I think, I think it comes down to one super important part. It's not the strategy or the technique or the structure. It's not the gifting or the talent of the people involved. It's actually spirit. The difference between an oikos that dies and an oikos that thrives is the spirit of adoption. And I want to talk to you this morning about the spirit of adoption. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. So Paul, in the beginning of this chapter, he's contrasting this idea of walking in the spirit 
versus walking in the flesh and how we have been subject under the law that we can never live up to and uh, forced to follow our sinful nature or our flesh or, or the body that leads us on a path to death and destruction. Not just a path that will end up in hell, but a path that has hell along the way. Who knows that just like Jesus said, hey, the kingdom is coming and the kingdom is already here. Guess what? Hell is coming and sometimes hell is already here. Honestly, not just metaphorically, I think it's true. We can live in hell. And God has come to rescue us, not just from eternal hell, but from our present hell as well. There you go, that rhymed as well. Put it to, put, add it onto the poem. And so he says, if you live by the Spirit and you walk in the Spirit, you can walk on the road that leads to life, not just by the destination, but the one that brings you life along the way. And so we get to verse 13 of Romans 8. And he says, for if you live according to the flesh or the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, when we read this, we have to ask a question. Who was Paul writing this to? Someone shout it out. Who's Paul writing this to? The Romans. Right? Rome. The Christians, the church in Rome. That's why it's called Romans. There you go. Now, you, there's your Bible, Bible course number one. So he's writing it to the Romans. So if we're going to understand what the heck he means by the spirit of adoption, which has a capital S, meaning it's another name for the Holy Spirit, why is Paul using this term, the spirit of adoption, when he's talking to the Romans? That was my question. So I did a bit of research. In order to understand this, we have to understand what the word adoption means to Romans. Not what to you and me, because we think adoption, you might have, you know, an idea. Some of you might be familiar with it. Some of you might have seen it on TV. What was that movie with Mark Wahlberg, that adoption movie? The Foster one? Mate, oh, instant family, isn't it? Mate, I cried, man. I'll probably cry if I watch it right now. Such a good movie. You might think adoption, maybe something like that. But we need to understand, what did the Romans think? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you about it. Sorry, too much planet boom. So in ancient Rome, parents had a right to disown their biological children. Cut them out. Kick them out of the family. In fact, at the head of a Roman family was the, the patriarch, the father. He had power over his children for as long as he lived. He could be 85, although I don't think Romans live that long. He could be 85 and you could have a family of your own or grandchildren of your own. But if he said jump, you would still have to say how high. The power was in the father of the household or the oikos. The father had complete power. And if he said you are no longer a member of this family, you're out. And so what would happen sometimes 
This father's children would not meet his expectations. See, he's seeking to leave a legacy. He's got this oikos, this household, and he wants to pass it on to somebody who's worthy of what he has created. Somebody who can inherit his power, his influence, and his wealth, and his name. And so he's, he might look at his children and they might not, they might not meet his expectations. Maybe they're not talented. Maybe they got something wrong with them, like a disability. Maybe they're just, they're no good at stuff. And he could say to them, you know what? You're not worthy of being my successor. Or perhaps the child was rebellious. They said, screw you, dad. I don't like your, your tone. And so what he would do is he would seek to find a superior replacement for his biological children. And he would seek to adopt. Perhaps, maybe he didn't even have any sons and he only had daughters, so he would seek to adopt a son. Or sometimes he would seek to adopt a daughter so he could marry her off and get an impressive son-in-law. So both guys and girls were adopted in this time, although more men were documented than women. Now, when you adopted somebody... You could not disown them. That right to disown your biological children was void for your adopted children. Once you had made that commitment to adopt a son into your family, he was permanently in your family, no matter what. Now, let me tell you a few things about this adopted child. Their history, their past was completely erased. The family that they used to be a part of, no, that didn't exist. You are now a part of this new family. You are born again into a new life that is yours. And what's more is you get new rights and responsibilities in this new identity that you have gained that have nothing to do with who you used to be. Part of those uh, rights was the inheritance of the father. Now, here's the thing about inheritance. We probably think, oh, when the old man carks it, I might get a bank account or a house or a mortgage or something like that, right? We think inheritance, it's going to happen when our parents die. Back then, inheritance was a continuous transaction that you got access to immediately, which means that as a son, you had the right to partly and joint own everything that your father owns from the day that you became a part of the family. Yes, you would inherit it when he died, but you already get access to it as soon as you become a part of that man's family. So what would often happen is uh, a upper class family Uh, the father would be looking to adopt somebody who is more worthy than his own children. And so he would do a deal with a lower class family who maybe has too many children to support. And so they would do a transaction. He would pay, you know, some sort of ransom or or some, and they would have this transaction and you would basically get to buy someone's child off them. And it was kind of a win-win because as a young person, you're actually, if you're in a lower class family, your dream is that someone would adopt you one day. Someone important would allow you to set up your generations under their covering and their important and their higher class family. So this actually happened to someone you probably know of, Julius Caesar. You know who that is? 
emperor of Rome. So here's some uh, ancient first century gossip for you. Um, it, it, it is thought that Julius Caesar had a child to Cleopatra. <laughs> Legit. Cleopatra, she queen of Egypt, Julius Caesar, emperor of Rome, had a child, right? Talk about an important kid, right? Well, here's the twist. When Julius Caesar died, in his will, he wrote that he wished to adopt a man by the name of Octavian. Octavian was actually his grandnephew, distantly related. But he adopted Octavian and Octavian actually became Caesar Augustus and inherited the Roman Empire over Julius Caesar's own biological children. True. This adoption thing was important. This, this meant something so significant. And so when Paul's saying to the church, hey, you have the spirit of adoption, he's saying you're not just a freed slave because a freed slave is only a little bit better than an enslavery slave. You're not just a slave who's been set free. No, no, you're now adopted into the household of the, the father. You get the rights, the responsibilities, your past is erased. You now have a permanent position in this family. You cannot be disowned under any circumstances. So there's a quick question, which is, okay, if we are God's adopted family, who's his biological family? Well, I want to show you something really quick in this scripture that I read before in verse 14. Paul says this, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Then in verse 16, he talks about us being children of God. And if children heirs, then heirs of God. So he uses two different phrases here. And we think, oh, is he just using synonyms? Like his son supposed to be this generic term for sons and daughters? You know, No, no, no. That's why he uses children. The reason why he says the term sons of God is because throughout the entire Bible, that is a very important phrase. And every uh, first century Christian who read this, especially the Jews, would have known that sons of God means the spiritual children of God. So you probably know them as fallen angels, demons, the devil, all of this stuff. You know that there was a heavenly rebellion as well as an earthly one. And so God's own children, the sons of God, have now been replaced with his adopted children, you and me, which in short means you outrank the devil. You, you've been adopted to take the place. You now are a superior child of God than his spiritual creations. Did you know that? That's why the devil doesn't like you. Imagine how the biological children of Julius Caesar would have felt towards Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus probably would have just killed them <laughs> for fear. And so that brings up another thing. When you were adopted back then, what happens if the father dies and the biological children say, well, no, nah, that's not legit. You're not, a, you're not a brother. You're not a sister. That, was, that, that didn't really happen. We're the real inheritors of our father's kingdom, his, his household. What would happen? Well, to mitigate against this, there were two ceremonies involved in adoption. The first one involved the person leaving their family of origin and no longer being a part of that family. And the second ceremony was they're born again into a new family where they would now become a part of the new father's household. And for both of these ceremonies, there were seven witnesses. 
seven living witnesses so that if down the track something happened to the father, one of them could stand up and say, no, that person was adopted by Romulus III or whatever, and they are the rightful heir of this household. Now, notice how in verse 16, Paul says, the Spirit himself, the Spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's not just a throwaway line. This is referring to the process of adoption. To say that when the devil comes to say to you, you're not a child of God, when the doubt creeps in and someone comes to you and says, hey, hey, you're not a legitimate person. You're still in your sinful nature. The spirit bears witness with your spirit to say, no, 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 I was there. You're adopted. You are a part of this family, a permanent member of this family. You cannot be disowned and you are to inherit the kingdom. Mate, this scripture is pretty powerful stuff. And this spirit of adoption was essential for the church to work. As we just established, if you were a young person in a household, especially in the Roman Empire, and you decided to follow Jesus and not the gods of your father, guess what he would do to you? Dishonor, disowned. You would be cast out of your family. You would have nowhere to belong. And that's why the church sold everything they had, pulled their resources together, formed family as a church, not because it was a good idea, but because they had to. Literally, they were cut off from all their inheritance. They had no access to a place, shelter, wealth, any of that, food. They didn't have it all. They had to become family with one another. They had to have this spirit of adoption to say, I'm adopting you as a brother. I'm adopting you as a sister. I'm adopting you as a father, as an uncle, as a cousin, as a child. I'm adopting you because we don't have anybody else because we chose to give it all for Jesus. Yet somewhere in the last 2,000 years through cultural changes and all that stuff, we've, we've kind of changed to this idea, well, you know, we're like family. Church is like family. Like, it's like when you're like, you know, like when you're like 15 and you're like, your vocabulary is like still like developing and your brain like does this weird like thing and like you can't like help but say like too many times. I remember when I like, this happened to like me, like really, and I was, I like caught myself and like, oh my gosh, I've like become like the thing that I like completely hate and I, somehow I'm like, I don't know, and I had to consciously like say other words that aren't like, but it was so hard. And then eventually I like grew out of it and thank God. <laughs> we don't like the like, right? Forget the like. We're not like family. No, the church was birthed out of the necessity to be family. They had to, to survive. For us to become Christians today, Christians had to become family. Otherwise it never would have left the Middle East. It's funny, right? I understand adoption. Fully do, because of my sister, Charlie. I have never said, <laughs> you know, Charlie's like a sister to me. <laughs> yeah, God, you know what, Charlie? She's like family. I've never said this. Never, right? Because it's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Because Charlie is family. Like, there is no difference in my relationship with her 
in the, the familiar relationship as there is towards my brother Elijah. Zero difference. I mean, she's a girl, maybe there's a little. But in terms of family relation, it's not like Charlie's like my family. No, Charlie is my family. So true church should be family, not like family. Get rid of the like. We are family. I got my brothers and sisters and me. We've got to be willing to prioritize our life around somebody else so that they can enter the kingdom. Sometimes we hurt each other in church, right? We fight, we gossip, we offend. I think the problem is that we don't fight like family. You fight like a stranger. Because, well, I can take or leave this relationship. I can go find somebody else. I can, I can move on. I'm just, I'm sorry. This is challenging and all that. But like, but like, <laughs> sorry, I've been practicing it too much. I'm going to do it by accident now. <clears throat> we need to fight like family. Because when I fight with my family, sure, it could get heated. It can get offensive. I can be really upset for a few days. But... I'm still going to go to family night, Monday night dinner. I am, right? Yeah, we might disagree about this and this, but all of this stuff we agree on. I'm not going to try and, well, you know what? I'm going to just get a new family because how do you do that? (laughs) It's not easy. Can't just go buy one at Kmart. Someone adopt me. Imagine that. Someone adopt me hey, on Facebook. Hey, um, can someone please adopt me? I'm really upset with my family. We don't see that, right? Because it doesn't make any sense. If we're going to fight, which we will, because we're humans and we've, you know, we got issues. Let's fight like family though and preserve relationship and know that at the end of the day, we've still got each other's backs, even if we hate each other right now. We know that our family is not perfect and that's why we have grace for them. It's when you don't understand somebody's humanity that you don't have any grace. Like, oh, they shouldn't have said that. Well, I don't care. They, that, they offended me. Or I'm going to move to Mountains Church because I don't like Penrith Church or whatever. Like, we have grace for people because we understand them and we know them because they are our family. You know who gets this? David and Sammy. Of all the oikoses I've seen in the last 10 years in our three churches, I haven't seen the Cambodian ones. I'm sure they're awesome. But David and Sammy are one of the most successful. And you know why? The spirit of adoption. They just bring you in and say, well, my family's doing this. Come on, come on in. Jump on in. The water's warm. It's not because we paid in it. <laughs> just, sorry. Too many analogies come into my head. It's the bucket. It's the bucket. No. They get this. It's not something they do. Oikos is who they are. And so many people benefit from it. This is what our oikoses need to be built upon, the spirit of adoption. Now, I'll be real with you. I'm not family to all of you. There's almost 500 people across our three churches. I can't literally be family to that many people. None of you can. That's okay. That's actually why we have so many churches. We wanted to break it down 
And then we break the church down further into these oikoses, these households, these networks, because we have to get it small enough where you can be known as a family member. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 people, that works really well. When you get to about 80, 90, 100, you just get lost. You can't be family with that many people throughout the week. It's impossible. So I'm not asking you to see everyone in this room or everyone online as your family. Sure, they're brothers and sisters in Christ, but find a group that is your family in our church. Use the spirit of adoption and and call upon that in your relationship with one another. So how do we get it, this spirit of adoption? Because I know that we don't all have it. I certainly don't have it all the time for everyone. I'll be real with you, honest. There are times where church life can feel like a chore. And that's probably the first check. Do you approach church life with the spirit of slavery and bondage? Like a a bunch of things that you have to do. All right, I've got to get family dinner done. I've got to go to a service. I've got to be a part of a huddle. I've got to rehearse my songs for the weekend. All these things that are not not like a, a... a slave that's looked down upon, no, no, a servant of a house, you know, oh yeah, these are the things that I've got to do. Is that how you see church life? I've got to read my Bible, I've got to pray, I've got to call that person because that's something I've got to do. Or do you see it as a son or a daughter, as a child, a, a part of the family, where, where instead of saying, well, what is required of me? You say, what else can I do for this? How can we make this better? How can we make these, this community thrive? I wonder who could, who's in need and a need that I could meet this week. Is anyone having a baby soon? Pete and Carrie. Maybe they need a meal. What, could, could I help them out? Could I cook them something or buy them some KFC? <laughs> Carrie's saying no. Pete's saying yeah. <laughs> home-cooked meal, home-cooked meal. What can I do? That's what a son says. You know what I mean by son. What is required is what a slave things what's required of me do you feel dread about the idea of getting together with a family that's the spirit of bondage the spirit of adoption says i can't wait for family dinner night i've been hanging out to bring my kids to let them play with their cousins and eat a nice meal and chat about the latest political gossip we heard this week and the funniest meme about crossfit that judah brought and like i just i always hang out for family dinners both biological family and church family dinners. I just hang out for it. I'm excited about it. It energizes me. Or do we dread, oh, I've got to clean the house. I've got to cook the food. It's going to cost me. Gotta, people aren't going to pull their weight and bring enough food for everyone. So I've got to over cater and that's going to cost my grocery bill with all this inflation. Do we, do we, are we dreading things? Are we thinking about the duties of a servant or a slave? Or are we family? I'm going to start to wrap up here. And um, as I've been thinking about this, I've realized that there's no point trying to muster up the spirit of adoption for somebody if you don't have a revelation of that spirit yourself. Think about that Roman adoption culture. Your old life completely erased new rights and responsibilities in a family that you cannot be disowned from. 
You are the superior child of that father, the one that he selected and sought out and paid for. That's adoption. It's who you are. And we've got to understand that of whose we are. And it's from the overflow of going, I am a child of God, that we see someone else and say, they are a child of God. That is my brother. That is my sister. These are my cousins. And I will be family to them. I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts. And then we're going to just spend a, a bit of time in worship. I don't know if it's possible. Can we do good, good father? Sweet. We didn't rehearse that, but I'm sure the guys know it. Here's my two thoughts about adoption. Adoption can take time. I mean, the process that we took to adopt Charlie began years before she was even born. Five years. That's longer than a pregnancy, guys. (laughs) Adoption can take time. I'm not expecting myself to just, uh, you, I am now your family. <laughs> like, we've got to spend time together. You've got to get to know them and actually seek, like, who are you? Tell me your story. How did you find Jesus? What is he calling you to do with your life? Maybe we're called to become spiritual family on mission together. Maybe, I don't know. Let's figure it out together. Let's spend time. And the second thing about adoption is that it costs you. It's not free to just adopt somebody. There's a sizable cost for it. Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in the real world. And spiritually, it probably will cost you a bit too. I mean, it costs you to have any, any child. Any parent knows this. There is a cost to being a parent, but it's worth it. It's repaid 10 times over through the life of that kid. But it may cost you to find a spiritual family in our church. Could cost you your time, could cost you your schedule, could cost you your kids' bedtimes, it could cost you food, it could cost you a dirty house, it could cost you. But do you want to see Oikos thrive and grow and multiply in our church? I believe in it. I wholeheartedly believe that this is this is what church is supposed to be. Or we can just hope for the best and not pay the cost. And maybe Oikos will begin to die out. And then we'll start something new and try again and try again. I know what I want to see. I believe in this. So I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. If you're at home, find a quiet space if that's possible. And we're just going to sing this chorus of Good, Good Father. And I want you to reflect upon this idea of the spirit of adoption. Maybe this is resonating with you and you're like, yeah, I know that spirit. That's the spirit that brought me here today. That's the spirit I walk with. Or maybe you know it in theory, but you haven't had a revelation and experience of it. And you certainly haven't seen it happen in our church life. Let me pray for you and then we're going to spend a bit of time reflecting. Lord, I thank you for your spirit of adoption, your Holy Spirit that took us out of a family of darkness 
and brought us into a family of restoration and purpose and love and meaning, God. I pray this morning that your spirit would minister to each and every person who's listening, that they would have a brand new, fresh revelation of your spirit of adoption, of where they find their true identity. And Lord, I speak and I prophesy right now that our church would be a church that operates on this spirit of adoption, that we would see spiritual families forming, true, real families that are willing to lay down their lives for each other and be on a mission together to see your kingdom expand in our, in our towns and in our suburbs, God, and in our country, in our world. Lord, let that go forward in the name of Jesus. Let this Spirit get a hold of us. Let it control us and move us into the direction of the Kingdom. In the name of Jesus.